Transmitter device activated. Coordinate set for Earth 2. Hey everyone, welcome to a very special episode of the Earth 2 Podcast, your weekly exploration of the DC Comics multiverse and the legacy of their Golden Age characters through the Silver and the Bronze Ages of comics. I'm Peter Watson. I'm the Irredeemable Shag. I'm Ross Aiken. I'm Logan McFarlane. I'm Brandon Peters. I'm Kenny Smith. And I'm David Steele. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. Yes, a very special episode indeed. You may have been expecting the first part of the 1973 JLA JC team-up, but no. Listeners, if you're a regular visitor to the show, you may remember our episode from a few months ago where we covered the DC reprint series Wanted, the world's most dangerous villains. And In our early prep for that, we planned it originally to do the Everman and Doctor Fate stories that were reprinted. As you know, if you listened to the episode, we didn't do the Doctor Fate story. Why not? Because Peter noticed, almost on the eve of recording, as he was digging about in the internet as usual, that as well as the Mr. Who who turns up to hassle Dr. Fate a few times. Mm-hmm. There were three other Mr. Who's. Isn't that right, Peter? It most certainly is, yes. And then we sort of thought, right, well, we like doing our portmanteau episodes where we cover stories featuring characters with the same name. So we thought, right, cool, we'll do a Mr. Who episode at some point. But when do we do that episode? Well, the thought occurred to me. I checked ahead and saw that the 23rd of November this year was on a Thursday. And obviously, listeners, we release our episodes on a Thursday. And... 23rd of November, as you may have guessed, because we've, you know, surmised because we've got some extra voices saying hello at the start here, is the 60th anniversary of the broadcast of the first episode of Doctor Who. So what better day to have an episode featuring characters called Mr. Who? Of course. <laughs> so we have recruited a few guest voices, some people who may be familiar because they helped us out during the summer with our Seven Soldiers epic and who, so you know, you never know, some of them might be helping us out with our... Freedom Fighters epic in the mm-hmm. next couple of weeks. Who can say? Stay tuned. Um, yes. So, apologies to anyone who's expecting part one of the Freedom Fighters, but this is fun. <laughs> Doctor Who's anniversary doesn't come round every year. <laughs> well, it does, but you know what I mean. And we have to keep it interesting for ourselves, quite frankly. And also, obviously, Peter just loves the work. <laughs> of course. So, without any further ado, the first story we're going to read for you today comes from issue 73 of More Fun Comics. This is the second story in a few weeks well, a couple of months probably now, now to think about it, that we've done from this issue of More Fun Comics. Peter's going to tell you about the cover. Yes, the cover to More Fun Comics 73. More Fun Comics 73 is a very important issue. It has been reprinted several times because it has the debut of both Aquaman and Green Arrow in it. So yes, I'm actually reading from the Millennium Edition reprint that came out in, well, 23 years ago now. God, that makes me feel ancient. I know! Do you remember, <laughs> did, you, did you vote for any on the... DC Comics website at the time? Uh, no. I remember doing that. I remember voting for the, whichever issue, I can't remember, is it 61, issue 61 Adventure Comics and Starman and First Appear or something like oh, that? Of course, yes. I remember voting for that one. I remember. I think I remember voting for Commandy issue one as well at some point. I didn't mm. have a computer at that point. It was mm-hmm. this my mate Barry's house over in Glenburn. Mm-hmm. There we go. Anyway, <laughs> back to More Fun 73's cover. Yes, <laughs> the, the Millennium Edition has got the cover of More Fun 73 on it. It's just at a jaunty angle. I would the... hope so. Imagine the cover of a different comic. <laughs> What was the point, anyway? Yes. Uh, it's just at a jaunty angle when you've got the Millennium Edition gold brand at the top as well, which I loved. The gold foil stamp. Someone should do a podcast where they do all of the Millennium Editions. Maybe at the next Millennium. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe. still alive. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yes, at the top, three smashing new features. There's a picture of the Spectre in a little corner bubble. 
We have the DC publication stamp on it as well. More fun comics, November. But the main image on the cover is actually the story that we're going to cover. For a change, it seems like that doesn't happen very often when we do these anthology mm. issues. Mm. And it's Dr. Fate. But he looks a bit different from all the Dr. Fates we've covered before. Yeah. He's wearing the half helmet. Yeah. It only comes down to... Well, I was going to say it comes down to cover his nose, but it doesn't actually cover his nose in this one. His nose is peeking out from beneath it. Mm. So there might be a slight change in the voice of Dr. Fate in this episode. Can you imagine? Because he doesn't have that echoing bucket over his mouth this time. (laughs) Anyway, Dr. Fate is celebrating having this new helmet by punching some thugs. One of them appears to be firing a gun. I don't even know if he's finding it supposed to be at Dr. Fate who's kicked him and he's knocked it out of the way or he's supposed to be finding it at a different guy. Yeah, he seems to Fate's got his <laughs> his foot in his neck mm. and the little guy with the glasses seems to be busting a disco move. I know, it's very groovy, very groovy. Fate's grabbing a Tommy gun off of one of the gangsters and he's punched him with a right hook but there's another gangster coming up at the front with a gun. He actually doesn't look as if he's pointing at Fate. He looks as if he's pointing at his, his cohorts. It's all very confusing. Mm, yes. Mm. And there's a caption box that says, Smashing Two-Fisted Exploits of Dr. Fate. Yes. Half-masked Dr. Fate. Mm-hmm. That's what he was like most of the time in All-Star Squadron, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah. It was sort mm-hmm. of, you know, that's the, the timeline for all that sort of the start of World War II, well, not the start of World War II, the start of America's involvement with World War II, etc. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Half mask. It's half mask week on the Earth 2 podcast, probably. Mm -hmm. So without any further ado, we should leap into the story. We have a large splash panel. There's no story title, but we get a large Dr. Fate logo and a caption sets the scene. Armed with a miracle serum, the insidious Mr. Who, sinister lord of the plunder world, strikes out after a fabulous treasure worth a Raja's ransom. But then emerges the vanguard of the law. Dr. Fate, man of mystery and magic, who uses his great powers to make the criminal pay the price. And this opening image takes up most of the, the first page. It's Dr. Fate swinging in a chandelier. Mm. Now, I don't know if we've had that from anyone before on the podcast. It's, no. But it's very exciting. He's swinging in because there's four suited goons down on the ground. It's obviously some kind of art gallery museum because they've, they've gone into a frame picture, one of them, and he's using a knife to cut the picture out of the frame. <gasps> this has given me enormous deja vu, listeners, but it's been a while since we recorded, <laughs> so probably by the time this episode comes out, I'll have been reminded. Mm. There's a large circular insert panel as Dr. Fate's feet collide with two of the goons, knocking them flying. Dr. Fate says, This hurts me worse than it does you. Oh, that's what you think, says one of the goons. That's what parents in West Central Scotland used to say to their children before they <laughs> smacked them. <laughs> This hurts me more... Then, listeners, did you grow up in West Central Scotland? Right, and let us know in the first panel of page two, Dr. Fate sends another goon flying with a punch, saying, Get a good beefsteak for that black eye you're going to have when you come to. And then the next panel, he knocks another guy flying so that he's poking out of a picture frame. I hope that picture was not worth millions of dollars. <laughs> Stars fly round the goon's head as Dr. Fate says, If you want to play with art, you're liable to get framed. <laughs> I like this new Dr. Fate. Another goon is trying to run up a flight of stairs to get away, and Dr. Fate rushes after him, saying, So you want to run, do you? I can do that too. The caption for the next panel then reads, In a dark, shadowy corner of the art room, a sinister figure lurks. Mr. Who, super criminal. Yes, Mr. Who, as he appears here, is a large brown fedora hat, a very thick white moustache and white goatee beard. He's wearing a pale brown suit, a green cravat, and a long sort of brown cape. 
When did you first encounter this version of Mr. Who? Was it in the pages of All-Star Squadron like I did? It most certainly was, yes. We look forward to him turning up in All-Star Squadron. Mm -hmm. Mr. Who is striking a pose and he says, (laughs) So that was the great Dr. Fate my men are afraid of? Ha! I'll show him a little trouble when I next use my solution Z. In panel five, Mr. Who crosses to a framed picture on the wall. I wonder if it's the same one that the goon was going for in the first panel of the story. And with a knife, starts cutting a picture from the frame, saying, Meantime, I'll just borrow this picture from my own art gallery. As Dr. Fate pursues the fleeing criminal, Mr. Who makes good his escape. Yes, Fate's obviously chasing that other lad up the stairs. Mr. Who has left the art gallery building. We can see him walking past a lamppost, casting a big circular spotlight on the pavement. With his cape flying behind him, he says, Ha! That's your first lesson, Dr. Fate. Never turn your back on something someone wants to steal. (laughs) And in the final panel of page two, Dr. Fate has caught up with the goon he was chasing and he's jumped him, grabbed him by the neck, wrapping his legs around him, saying, Let's play leapfrog with me doing the leaping. And the goon's hat goes flying as he yells, Help! Dr. Fate grabs him by the scruff of his jacket in the first panel of page three, lifting him off the ground, saying, the sooner you stop thrashing about, the sooner I'll relax my grip and let you down. I, I, I'll stop. You came here to steal that picture. Why? Who sent you? Answer me. I saw you enter the museum. Your type doesn't appreciate art, so I followed you. Speak up. If you know, why ask me? Don't give me any sass. I asked, who sent you? That's right. Who did? I, I, I mean, Mr. Who. He, he's a person. Then who is Mr. Who? That's what I want to know. I... I don't know myself. He hired me and my gang to steal that picture for him. That's all I know. In the next panel, Dr. Fate releases his grip on the the goon and flies off into the air, saying, So, I've got to go out and find this mysterious who myself. All right, I'll do it. And the goon calls after him, saying, You you can't find him. He He's too smart. Dr. Fate's outside in the next panel, presumably on the roof of the museum, art gallery, whatever it's called, and he's looking down at some more suited figures and hats, standing under another lamppost beside a big green car. Dr. Fate crouches on the roof, looks at these bad guys and says, Maybe I can't find him, but these men expect to be paid for their night's work. All I have to do is trail them. As the car races through the night, the thugs do not realise they are followed relentlessly by a man flying high over their heads. As the car zooms along, leaving a gas cloud behind it, there's a fire hydrant. I can't remember that sort of thing we take a drink at, but we do encourage you to take a drink because we can see the silhouette of Dr. Fate. Looks like he's running in front of a mm. full moon. Yay! Runs in the sky above him. In the final panel of page three, Dr. Fate is watching the green car pull into the grounds of a big house. And Dr. Fate says, That's the place, all right. I'll pay him a visit myself. Gosh. But Mr. Who has already anticipated events. Yes, we see Mr. Who inside his laboratory. You can see lots of jars with labels and shelves behind them, glass files in the front, and he's pouring something from a bottle, which is a, what we would say in Scotland, a Z on it, but some people elsewhere might say Z. Pouring something in this bottle into a little cup or a beaker in front of him, and as he does so, he's saying... I'll just drink some Z solution and then await my friend, Dr. Fate. He no doubt is busy following those idiots I'm forced to use to serve me. He takes the solution Z. Yes. It's a great panel, actually. Quite grotesque, Mr. Who. Close up of, you know, his thick white hair and thick white facial hair. But he's closed one of his eyes as he takes a drink. Or maybe, does he have an eye missing at this point? Interesting. Caption for panel three, page four. A startling change occurs. No longer is Mr. Who stooped and twisted. Instead, his body is young and powerful, and his face 
Though evil is grim and handsome. Yes, you might say that Mr. Who has experienced a renewal. He's been born again. He has indeed. He's yes. almost rejuvenated. regenerated. <laughs> I was going to go for that one, that's right. <laughs> Jinx, you don't owe me a Fanta. <laughs> so yes, what we see is that Mr. Who, his hair seems thicker, but also it's darker. It's gone back to brown and he mm. does look a bit bigger and taller and buffer and stronger. Imagine a superhero version of the of the late folk singer Roger Whittaker. Mr. Who is grasping still his beaker of Solution Z, proclaims, There! No one would even know me for my real self. He gestures widely in the next panel as he says, My Z solution is a miracle serum. It cures all ills. Even if I lost a hand, one would grow back on because of my solution. No one can kill me. A hand would grow back. Would it be a fighting hand? Does that only happen in the first so many hours of after he's after drunk? drunk as, yes. <laughs> yes. In the next panel, two suited goons, one in a sort of burgundy suit, sort of burgundy sort of maroon colour, one in a pale blue, arrive through an open door. The guy in the maroon suit says, uh, Mr. Who, it was this way. The guy in the blue suit says, Dr. Fate came along uh, and... Mr. Who cuts them off saying, Silence, you idiots. You failed. I knew it. However, look in this room. And he points to his left. And in the next panel, the guy in the maroon suit proclaims, You got it! But but how? We see that Mr. Who's holding up the framed painting that they were all after at the start. And Mr. Who says, That gentleman is why I am who I am. I never fail. I will pay you off and you may go. As the two baddies start to take the leave in the next panel, Mr. Who watches them go, saying, I may have need of you again. I shall keep you in mind. To which the guy in the blue suit replies, Gee, thanks. Next panel. Well, don't know if this person was lurking in the corner while this entire <laughs> conversation was going on, but a familiar man in blue and gold suddenly appears in the final panel of page four, prompting Mr. Who to say, Well, well, Dr. Fate, good evening. I was expecting you. I'll give you credit. You're a cool rascal. Next panel, which is the first panel of page five, Mr. Who lights a cigarette, casually saying, Why shouldn't I be cool? Nothing can happen to me. No. I'll just see about that. And the caption for panel two reads, Before Dr. Fate's amazed eyes, the mocking criminal's body grows to a terrific size. Yes, Mr. Who swells up to at least two or three times the size he was before he towers over Dr. Fate. Try and imagine a super giant buff version of the late folk singer Roger Whittaker. Mr. Who proclaims, You can't hurt me. I become invulnerable after taking my Z solution. I don't know what you're talking about, but I yearn to see whether you're real or not. Dr. Fate unleashes a terrific blow that spends itself on Mr. Who's chest. Yeah, we really get a sense of the new scale of Mr. Who in this panel. as a tiny Dr. Fate punches in the chest. Mr. Who is not impressed. He throws his head back, laughs, saying, <laughs> You call that a good blow? <laughs> you, you're as solid as rock. Like a helpless babe, Dr. Fate is lifted off his feet. Yes, Mr. Who grabs Dr. Fate in his right hand, raising him up, saying, I deplore violence, but if I must be violent, I will. You, you have the strength of ten gorillas. The captioning continues, carrying on from Dr. Fate being lifted off his feet. And carried into a room of stone, tall and vast. This is great, as Mr. Who, holding Dr. Fate in his hand, gestures towards... What looks like a giant green spider web, as Mr. Who says, Dr. Fate, look up and meet your fate. Fate proclaims, It's unbelievable. Final caption of page five. He sees a gigantic spider. Yes, a hideous, hideous gigantic spider in the heart of a web. 
And in the first panel of page six, Mr. Who, still holding fate in his hand, says, You'll be caught in the meshes of that web, and soon my little pet will remove you from the world of men. Goodbye, Dr. Fate. Trapped like a fly, Dr. Fate becomes snared in the spider's web. Yes, oh my goodness, this is not looking good. The next panel is a circular insert of Mr. Who, as he says, I feel I owe you an explanation about myself, Dr. Fate. He must be curious, so I will satisfy that feeling. I was born a hopeless cripple. And the next few panels are narrated by Mr. Who, as he continues, For years I struggled to earn my living. I was derided, the butt of the boys. And we see, obviously, a young Mr. Who, still has his glasses dark hair, trying to sell the news press, which is a headline talking about a huge fire. There's a couple of bad boys there, one with a cap down over his face wearing a green jumper and smoking a cigarette, another guy in blue. Guy in green's trying to grab one of the newspapers. Young Mr. Who proclaims, No, no, let me alone. My father will beat me. And one of the goons, the one in blue, says, Listen to the sissy. Smack him one, butch. Life was a miserable existence for me. But I determined to get even someday. And oh, this is quite sad, actually. We can see the stars floating around the young Mr. Who's head as the guy in the green jumper, Butch, has clocked him. And Butch says, Teach you to keep your ideas to yourself. Get fresh with us, will you? I earned money enough to go to college. I studied the sciences. And we see Mr. Who, as he kind of pretty much looks at the moment after taking the solution Z, studying by lamplight, saying, If I could only find a solution that would let me be as other men. A sort of cure-all medicine that would make my body grow tall and strong. And his final narration, for the end of page six, reads, One night I drew extractions from crawfish and insect creatures that adapt themselves to all conditions. If they lose a limb, they can grow a new one. And we see Mr. Who holding up a steaming glass of liquid, to which he says, I've done it! I've done it! I can be as other men! The first panel of page seven, we're back in the present day. We can still see the silhouette of Dr. Fate trapped in a spider's web, as Mr. Who says, I became strong and tall with my serum. I decided to collect beautiful objects and surround myself with them. I did so. But my spider is almost upon you, so farewell. And with that, he takes his leave. Panel 2, page 7, is a terrifying shot of Dr. Fate trapped in a web with a spider coming towards him. We should describe the spider. Very bony-looking legs and a long sort of proboscis. Fate looks like he's got a long nose, quite frankly. Mm. This is nightmare fuel. Dr. Fate is saying, I'm pure energy. Nothing can kill me, but I don't want to hang here like a dish of food, so... Exerting the tremendous force of his body, Dr. Fate sends rays of pure force beating outward from him. Yes, it's almost like Dr. Fate glows with a, a red aura, and as he says, When I find that Mr. Who again, I'll know how to deal with him. Panel 4, he grapples with the spider. Oh my goodness, very helpfully tells us what he's doing as he says, I've never heard of a spider being strangled by its own net before, but it's never too late to begin. There! Yes, it appears that Dr. Fate has dealt with a giant spider. Phew! In the next panel, we see him taking his leave from this room, rushing through a nice fancy patterned archway, as he says, Now for Mr. Who! In the next panel, he's arrived in Mr. Who's laboratory. He sees equipment and bits of paper and telephone and stuff all over the place, as he says, He's gone, but what are those papers on his desk? And he picks up a piece of paper. You can see some writing on it, but Dr. Fate says, The well-known almond diamond, owned by the eccentric billionaire Haddo. He keeps this jewel in his houseboat, where he lives on the Hudson River. I'll drop into Heddo's boat, just in case Mr. Who decides that he wants that diamond. And with that final panel of page seven, a full moon looming in the background, Dr. Fate flies off from Mr. Who's big fancy home. First panel of page eight, Mr. Who, now wearing a large brown fedora, 
He seems to have shrunk back down to a more normal size as he's sat in the front of a car, Kate playing it behind him, surrounded by his suited goons who were around earlier on, as Mr. Who says, I sent for you because I've decided to strike it once for the Almond Diamond. It's on Haddow's boat. Go out and get it. Purple suited goon says, Sure. Blue suited goon says, Okay. The boat moves silently through the waters, the dripping oars swinging gently. Yes, one of those narrative leaps that we've come to experience a lot recently in the podcast, we can see what looks like a fancy sailboat, but a rowboat coming towards it, being what, piloted, driven, rowed, sailed by the three goons that Mr. Who has in his employ. Blue suit goon can be heard saying, He'll be asleep when we get there, yeah, and if he moves, we plug him. Panel three, they climb out of the rowboat onto the deck of the small boat. Blue suit guy starts to speak saying, this is a... But he breaks off, looking up into the sky. Hey, do you see what I see? And then in panel four, descending onto the deck of the boat, it's the spectre. No, it's Dr. Fate. Dr. Fate lands, saying, Greetings, gentlemen. We'll have a class in advanced seamanship now that we're all together. He grabs the goon in the brown suit by the ankles, starts flinging him around, saying, This is what they call swabbing the deck. And this is clearing the deck for action. With that, that goon is sent over the side of the boat into the water. And at this, the purple suit guy says, Seems to me the action has begun. In the next panel, blue suit guy's trying to run away. You can't blame him. Dr. Fate catches him, grabbing him by the back of his jacket, saying, I'll have to reef your sail for you so you won't get away. Help! All the time we run into him! The blue suit guy has been secured with a large rope and the anchor left on the, the deck with Dr. Fate proudly saying, There. Now you're anchored safe and sound. Top of page nine now. Whilst all this has been going on, Mr. Who has arrived and he's climbing over the side of the boat onto the deck saying, Wonderful men, my boys. They get mixed up. Uh, what? What? It can't be. That's Dr. Fate they're fighting. He, he's dead. But if he isn't, at least he's busy. This gives me a chance to get that diamond. And at that, Mr. Who crosses to a door on the boat and opens moving into a room. He crosses to a drawer. And as he opens the drawer, starts to remove a blue box, he hears a voice from outside that says, Who's that? Don't move or I shoot. To which Mr. Who thinks, That's Haddow, the man who owns the Almond Diamond. Another quality of Z-Solution comes into being. The ability to make its user blend with the colors behind. Mr. Who merges with the background and becomes invisible. Yes, this is great. Mr. Who... His outline can still be seen as he leans against the chest of drawers and Mr. Haddo has walked into the room. A young man, dark hair, wearing a sort of orange dressing gown, bearing a pistol. And he looks around saying, I could have sworn I heard something. I, What's that noise up on deck? In panel five, he's gone up top and sees purple suit goon sat rubbing his head with stars floating around him and Dr. Fate standing there. Mr. Haddo says, what's going on here? These men were after your almond diamond. They've abandoned the idea by this time. Purple suit guy agrees, saying, We sure have. Ow, my jaw. Mr. Haddo crosses to Dr. Fate, saying, That's odd. I thought I saw someone in front of the bureau where I keep that jewel. Maybe, maybe he stole it. Come on, then. In the next panel, they've moved back into the room. Mr. Haddo's opened the door, and sure enough, he says, It's gone. But how? Not how, but who? Mr. Who? He's been here and left. He can't be far away. This time I'm wise to his tricks, says Dr. Fate as he leaves the cabin back onto the deck of the boat. In the first panel of page 10, a full moon looms in the background take a drink. We see Mr. Who speeding away in his motorboat. He looks behind him, sees the silhouette of Dr. Fate in front of the moon and cries, So Dr. Fate is following me. I think it's time I got rid of that man. In panel two, Dr. Fate flies overhead. Mr. Who fires at him with his pistol saying, The bullets go into you? But they don't hurt you? Exactly. You cannot kill me, Mr. Who. And perhaps I cannot kill you. But 
I'm going to make you wish you were dead. With that, Dr. Fate lands on the front of the boat. Dr. Fate punches Mr. Who, sending his big hat flying. Mr. Who proclaims, Oh! In the next panel, a very messy layout of this final hmm. page. Dr. Fate stepped into the boat, grabs Mr. Who by the scruff of the jacket, saying, Before that fiendish serum of yours can make you a giant again, I'll put you to sleep and wish you pleasant dreams. And as the boat still rackets through the water, Dr. Fate lifts up Mr. Who above his head. But Dr. Fate's strength is so terrific, Mr. Who is hurled right through the planking of the boat. Yes, there's a massive crash and water starts spitting up into the boat as Mr. Who vanishes from sight and Dr. Fate proclaims, And that's the end of Mr. Who. He wanted treasures without paying the price. And a caption concludes this story, reading, But... Mr. Who has strange powers. His evil genius may still flame brightly. If and when he next appears to plague the world, will Dr. Fate be there to face him? The end. The end. Now, listeners, you might be astonished to learn that Mr. Who came back in the very next issue and straight away he's metamorphosizing. His hair's gone white and he's grown fish hands to allow him to swim. We're not going to go into all the details of this appearance. He comes back another time as well mm-hmm. to cause more grief for Dr. Fate. Who knows? We might do them again in the future. Maybe just before he turns up in All Star Squadron, we might do a little flashback and do his other could appearances. Do. We'll think about that. We could do yeah. Mr. Who too. We could do. <laughs> maybe we'll do it in time for Doctor Who's 70th anniversary. Maybe, maybe. We'll see. So, yes, Mr. Who would come back almost immediately. Mm-hmm. What do you think of the story then, Peter? That was great fun. Yes, thoroughly enjoyable. Uh, I think Doctor Fate has certainly got a different personality from his full helmet of Naboo. Yes. His all business. He's a bit more jokey and a bit less magical, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, this is this is sort of well documented. I mean, I remember mm-hmm. reading, I think, in All-Star Squadron or thereabouts when Roy would talk about Dr. Fate being depowered or whatever. And the giant spider's about as old-school Dr. Fate as it gets in this yeah. issue, isn't it? Uh-huh. Really, it's when he's swabbing the deck and chasing after guys and mm-hmm. grabbing them with their jackets. It's all a bit down-to-earth. Yeah. It's very Dr. Jekyll-y as well, the Mr. Who, you know, creates the potion yes. and then it's appearance yes, changes. I really like that. Uh-huh. I want some of this uh, Z solution for myself, because that would be amazing, oh, wouldn't it? Absolutely. Mm. You know, especially, you know, do you want to tell everyone how you're suffering at the moment and how you, how, <laughs> do you want to tell everyone what happened the other week? Yeah, well, the other week I was, I was in Berlin and on holiday. Christine, my lovely wife, and I were there and we were on this walking tour and we're just, you know, being taken by a guide to various points of interest. Mm. And we were crossing over this uh, rough bit of ground just beside a car park. And as we were crossing this rough bit of ground, I completely lost my footing and went over my ankle and tumbled over and uh, my foot's been throbbing ever since. Now, do you want to tell everyone what this car park's location was, etc.? Yes, well, it turns out that this car park is actually the location of Hitler's bunker. Yes, and Peter surmised that this was Hitler's revenge for us taking the mick out of him with her voice in the Sergeant Rock episode the other week. Yes. So <laughs> so wait until the Freedom Fighters episodes, Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get a revenge yes. then. Indeed. But no, yes, I, I, I'm ailed, but some Z-Solution would uh, fit me up I wouldn't perfectly. mind some, actually, because my, my left knee's been loping a wee bit recently the last couple of weeks. I've started mm-hmm. wearing a tuber grip on it again the last couple of days to try and compress it and stop it, and it's, that seems to be working. So yes, welcome to the Old Men Having Pains <laughs> podcast. Yeah, it's a shame we don't have more time to do the the other Mr. Who's because, you know, in his mm-hmm. third appearance, we see him shrinking down and all that sort of stuff. He's a really, really interesting baddie. And you can yeah. understand why Roy would use him yeah. briefly in All-Star Squadron. So it'd be nice to see him again. It's very killy of uh, Doctor Fate to throw him through the yes. bottom of the boat. Yes. Really. That's the end of Mr. Who, he says. It's yeah. Like, what? And it's it's incredibly abrupt. Uh-huh. You know, it's a weird layout in mm-hmm. that last page, as I say. Like, you know, the large panel with Fate flying over the boat, that could have been maybe... Mm-hmm. 
a little smaller, which would have given one more panel to actually maybe maybe they decided they were going to bring him back straight away because you know, mm. the, the the opening image of the story in Morphon seventy four yeah. is basically a Doctor Fate on his crystal ball seeing Mister Who growing gills and being able to escape. There we are. So you know, Doctor Fate, you didn't follow through. Maybe I wonder how many people die as a consequence. We'll, we'll find out when we do the other Mr. Who stories eventually. But no, it was a lot of fun. As you say, very different to, to his earlier stuff. Mm-hmm. And his later stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. At the start, as you said, it's full mask and a boo. And then it's the half mask. Mm-hmm. And then, as we all know, later on, he becomes a proper medical doctor and uses yes. the cable all together. Uh-huh. So, yeah, and obviously, we have to say thank you to Shag for joining Indeed, us. Indeed, thank the you. The obvious choice to ask Shag to do it because he had some letters published in the Doctor Fate ongoing series that started in the 80s. If we can find those, we might put some of those up in the socials. Yeah, that'd be a laugh. And, of course, Doctor Fate's a member of Just League International, so, again, we would refer you to Shag's excellent Justice League Bohaha podcast, which is kind of getting near the end now because he's well deep into breakdowns. It's the end, but the moment's been prepared for. It has. See what Peter did there, listeners? I'm sure he did. So, that was the first Mr. Who. Who's up next? Our next story, we move on to issue 14 of Bulletman, published on 29th of March 1946. Doesn't feel like we've done too many stories from 1946. No. Is this the first? I can't remember. That all the stuff that we should have been writing down <laughs> as we go along. Peter's going to tell you now, listeners, about the cover to Bulletman number 14. It's a lovely green cover with the Bulletman, the Flying Detective logo at the top. We have Bullet Man and Bullet Girl with Bullet Dog, is that? They're both standing beside three panels that are stacked in the centre of the cover. The first one has Bullet Girl being strangled from behind by skeletal hands. Oh God. The second one has Bullet Man and Bullet Girl smashing through a window. And the third one is Bullet Man <gasps> falling through a trapdoor. Gasp. And at the bottom there's a caption that says, Bullet Man meets death. The Comedian. And if that's not two legacy characters, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, the great Watchmen-Sandman universe crossover that wow. one of us wanted. Indeed. I shouldn't say that out loud. It'll give Jeff Johns ideas. <laughs> not anymore, not anymore. He's gone. Has he? Yeah. He's leaving and he's got his own like image comics brand now. Oh, wow. Didn't know that. That's anyway, news to me. Yeah, anyway, it's a welcome return to Bullet Man. We had met before. Was it the Fiddler episode? The I Fiddler. He yes, yes, he's yes, the very yes. killy Fiddler. Yes. Mm, more the shooter and the stabber. The killer. Mm. Anyway, we leap straight into the story. Panel one, we have the Bullet Man, the Flying Detective logo, and a caption essentially that reads, Bullet Man, the the Flying flying Detective, detective and Mr. Who. Yes, I love this opening image, because we see Mr. Who, a very different chap to the one we met in the Doctor Fate story. He's a long blue cape, a large brown fedora, which obviously is something that the other Mr. Who wore. Did they influence Tom Baker's costume? Did James Aitchison know all these characters? Maybe. Who can say? In a very 80s type Doctor Who type style, he's got a large pink question mark on his (laughs) chest, which is amazing. I bet he would have been John Nathan Turner's favourite. Definitely. Maybe JNT read this. Maybe Ian Levine loaned him a copy. Yes, because he... he, Well, I don't know. Would he have had this because it wasn't technically a DC comic? Well... Anyway... This panel is not strictly representative of the events. It's not even quite a defender's mm. cover, but it's all symbolic, <laughs> is maybe the word I'm struggling for. As Mr. Who lifts up a, an arm to hide behind as Bullet Girl and Bullet Man fly through a whole chorus of floating who's, 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 etc. Well, a caption further to that sets the scene saying, Who is Mr. Who? Who is the mysterious marauder who glides in like a ghost? Tangles your tongue, twists your brain, and vanishes again with mocking laughter. 
How can Bullet Man and Bullet Girl trap Mr. Who when they don't know who who is? <laughs> and if Bullet Man and Bullet Girl can't trap Mr. Who, who can? Read on, but slowly, or you'll never know who hit you. Yes, it's a good one. This listeners enjoyed this one very much. So, another caption tells us what's going on at the beginning. The shareholders of stock in the Bodacopia Copper Company are called to meeting. Yes, we see a bunch of folks sat around a, a table. One tall man with a gavel is obviously keeping things in order. A couple of familiar faces around the table. But anyway, the chairman is saying, I just wish to announce that due to the war, the value of our copper stock has gone sky high. You can sell out now at a profit, if you wish. One man in a green suit says, I'll hold on to mine. And a very goofy looking man with big ears says, Me too. The caption for the next panel tells us, Jim Barr and Susan Kent are also shareholders. Jim Barr and Susan Kent, a.k.a. Bullet Man and Bullet Girl, of course. Susan's saying, I'm glad you advised me to buy that stock, Jim. Jim looks very pleased with himself. And at the top of page two, the caption of the first panel reads, A shareholder accosts them before they leave. Yes, a very dapper-looking fellow. Looks a bit like Kenneth Williams. <laughs> with striped trousers and a waistcoat and almost a tailcoat. He looks delighted as he says, I'm Peter Wayne. Stockholder, will you sell your shares? I'll give you a handsome price. So as Jim says, Sorry, sir, we don't care to. Another shareholder is Anthony Jones, and that night at home, he fondly counts over his newfound wealth in stocks. Yes, Anthony Jones is wearing a blue dressing gown. Very caricatured face, exaggerated eyebrows, and a big nose, and a big smile. And you can see that he's counting bits of paper, which, of course, has Boaconda copper written on it. And Anthony is saying, 99? 100? These stocks are worth a cool $100,000. I'll be able to retire on them. There's a bring sound effect in the next panel, and Anthony proclaims, The doorbell. Wonder who's calling. And he opens the door in panel four to say, And you are who? And we see a figure in a blue-black cape with a large question mark on his chest, wearing a brown fedora which hoods his eyes, who proclaims, I am who? What kind of double talk is this? Who are you, I asked. I told you, I'm who. Mr. Who, to make it plain, and you are dead. And with that, Mr. Who pulls a pistol and fires on Anthony Jones with a blam. Anthony screams, ah, falls backwards. Oh my goodness, it's another killy bullet man story. <laughs> Mr. Who, this cape in question mark, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's like a designer new costume for Doctor Who competition winner <laughs> from Doctor Who Weekly, isn't it? Age six. Yeah. Did you enter any competitions in Doctor Who Weekly to design a costume? Not in Doctor Who, no. <laughs> just, just in the Fantastic Four magazine. Yes. So, Mr. Who kneels down beside Anthony's body, saying, Mind if I take these stocks, old man? He grabs the certificates from Anthony's hand and continues, <laughs> And leave a touching little note. And sure enough, he's a piece of paper which he leaves on the body. And the mysterious killer vanishes into the night as swiftly as he came. Mr. Who takes his leave, seemingly over green cobbles. Actually, very interesting. And as he departs, he's saying, Ha <laughs> ha No one knows who I am, for I am just Mr. Who. Ha ha ha! Police headquarters rocks with the news next day. We see Jim and Susan talking to Lieutenant Kent. Lieutenant Kent is saying, A man murdered. Motive, robbery. But who did it? The only clue is this note the killer left. Jim reads the note, saying, Why, Lieutenant Kent, according to this... Everybody knows who did it. The note reads, Who did this? Who did it? Rack your stupid police brains over the what's, why's, when's and who's of that. And it's signed, who? Interesting. Lieutenant Kent scratches his head in the next panel saying, Well, smart guy, who? Jim winks at Susan saying, That's right. 
Who? It says so right here. Who did what to whom? asks Susan. Lieutenant Kent says in the next panel, Are you trying to drive me crazy? Get out! Almost looks though like he's booting them up the backside to make them leave. I only wish Bullet Man and Bullet Girl would get after this who? Which Jim says. After who? Uh, see you later! Lieutenant Kent winks to the camera, winks to the audience saying, Anyway, I know who Bullet Man and Bullet Girl are. A mere hint to Jim and Susan. And then the first panel, page four, Lieutenant Kent crosses to the open window of his office, looks outside, and continues, And off go that bullet pair. Well, Mr. Who, whoever you are, you'll soon sing another tune. And who's he watching fly off but Bullet Man and Bullet Girl, obviously flying out from a lower window in the building, into a beautiful pink and blue sky. Gosh, is it a crisis happening? Who can <laughs> say? More pink clouds in the background for panel two. The caption reads... But there is not one slightest clue to go by. As they fly along, Bullet Man is saying, No use flying around aimlessly like this, Bullet Girl. This city's too big to stumble on anything by accident. Right, let's go back to my house and think it out. Evening finds them in civilian role. Jim sat in a nice big comfy chair, saying, Where will who strike next? That's the question. Off camera, we hear another doorbell. Bring. Susan hears this, turns and says, The doorbell. I'll answer it. And in panel four, she opens the door to be greeted by a tall man in a fedora with a long cape and a big pink question mark on his chest, holding a pistol who says, Miss Susan Kent, I believe? I am who? <gasps> Gulp! You're who? What? Who? Proclaims Susan. In the next panel, Mr. Who has moved into the house, continuing, Yes, who? And if you're wise, young lady, you'll hand over your Boaconda copper stock quick. Why, uh, this way... She walks off with her hands over her head now in the foreground of this panel. You see that Jim has been hiding behind the comfy couch type thing he was sitting on and he's getting changed into his bullet man uniform. As he's doing this, he says, So that's who who is. A lightning change and Jim Barr leaps forth as mighty bullet man. Yeah, this is great. He doesn't even tip the couch over or anything as he leaps out from it, punches Mr. Who, sending him flying back into the wall as Mr. Who proclaims, What? Who are you? No, I'm not who. You're who, says bullet man. First panel of page five, he punches Mr. Who, sending him flying backwards again, saying, Or rather, let's just call you Mud. Almost seems as if the light in his question mark has gone out at this point. Mr. Who down on the ground in panel two, page five, says, Idiot! Do you know who you are pitted against? I give up. Who? Says Bullet Man. Susan tries to restrain him, saying, What's your grammar, Bullet Man? Whom? <laughs> this allows Mr. Who to recover. He gets to his feet, shoving Susan into Bullet Man, and Mr. Who says, no, who? And this will keep you occupied long enough for me to escape into the dark. Ha ha ha! And he rushes off. Looks like he breaks out of a window to make his escape. We see a crescent moon lying in the background. Take a little Take sip. Take a sip. Drink. Yes. Susan and Bullet Man cross to the broken window looking out. Susan saying, Who was he? Yes, he was who? I mean, uh, shucks. Don't let us get our tongues all twisted. This much we know. Who seems to be out to round up all Boaconda stock? He's murdered Jones so far, you were next on the list. But who will who be after next? Says Susan. Well, we don't have to wait too long to find out. Bullet Girl joins Bullet Man as the trail grows hot. Bullet Man and Bullet Girl take to the air with Bullet Man saying, That's what we have to find out. We'll visit the Boaconda Copper Company's files and see. But there is another visitor first at the Boaconda offices. Yes, we see a man in a very copper-coloured suit sat behind a desk as the door to the office is opened by a man in a long black cape with a wide-brimmed hat and a pink question mark on his chest. The man behind the desk says, What? Who is this? Yes, 
This is who. Good heavens! Can't you answer a civil question? Who are you? To which this point, Mr. Who twirls a finger at the man behind the desk, saying, Uh-huh. That's right, Brady. I'm who. Who's right? I mean, who's who? If, if you're who, who am I? I mean, uh, this is maddening. Mr. Who has produced a pistol at this point and says, <laughs> It's maddening, isn't it? I like to torture my victims, twist their tongues and minds, make them tear their hair in bafflement, and then, when the fun's over, I kill them and take their stock. And with that, and a blam, he fires his gun at poor Mr. Brady, who falls back out of his chair, crying, <gasps> Gosh, in the final panel of page six, we see Mr. Who, a shrouded Mr. Who, taking his exit from the Boaconda Copper Company building, bearing the bag that he grabbed off Brady's desk, which is visible in other panels. As he leaves, as Mr. Who is saying, But who's coming? Looks like Bullet Man and Bullet Girl. So who's leaving? <laughs> and how who's leaving? I'm getting confused with this, listeners. I don't know about you. And Bullet Man and Bullet Girl find only another signpost on Mr. Who's trail of death. Yes, they're up in Mr. Brady's office. Bullet Girl saying, Dead, poor soul. Who's victim, no doubt? We see Bullet Man's going through a filing cabinet and he's saying, We've got to catch him at his next victim. If we only knew who. Ah, the files. Here's the next largest shareholder. Address... 14 Sutton Drive. Let's go, says Bullet Girl, yes, and Bullet Man, conspicuously not showing his face because it probably would have been easier to draw him that way, has pulled out a file. At 14 Sutton Drive. Yes, a very portly looking chap in a green suit has opened the door to a man wearing a large cape and a large hat with a pink question mark on his chest who's thinking to himself, Another victim to toy with. <laughs> and then introduces himself saying, I am who? The gentleman in the green suit replies, You are who? That's nice. I'm what? Well, I'll bite. What are you? That's right. I'm Watt, says Mr. Watt in green, gesturing for Mr. Who to enter the house. Mr. Who pulls a pistol in the next panel, saying, Listen, don't mock Who. I'm touchy. Now, what's this all about? In plain English, what's what? Oh, you tickle me, says Mr. Watt, as the gun gets pointed in his back. But I already told you what I am. I'm Watt. Mr. Who looks like he's about to tear his hair out in the final panel of this page, as he says... I'll go mad. I don't care what you are or what you do. Just shut up for a minute so I can collect my wits. What wits, replies Mr. Watt. Indeed, Mr. Who says, What? What's that? Who are they? And he points at the people who are hiding behind a curtain on the other side of the room. Mr. Watt, in his big belly and his green suit, says, What? Oh, you mean my wife and kids? That's Mama Watt, not little Whatnots. Who wants to meet Watt? And from behind the couch, his wife exclaims, Who, Pop? Who? And one of his kids says, What, Pop? What? You can tell that Mr. Who is getting a little impatient. He shoves Mr. Watt towards the safe on the wall that we can see. Mr. Who saying, No, no, no. All I want is your stock. You're listed as stockholder number four with 10,000 shares. Cough up. To which Mr. Watt says, Cough? A what cough with no cold? Why who? And we all feel how Mr. Who looks in this panel as he rubs his forehead thinking, Wahoo-wee, I wonder if they're right. Maybe crime doesn't pay. He crosses back to Mr. Watt in the next panel, saying, Let's get it straight. You have Bolconda stock, and I want it. So, you give it to me. Is that all clear now? Oh, you mean you're a robber? Well, well. Mr. Who looks deranged in the next panel as he brings his pistol up, saying, Yes, I'm a big bad robber, and if you don't give me your stock, I'll blow your little brains out. This is a gun, see? 
What kind is it, Who? And in the next panel, Mr. Who loses his rag completely and boots Mr. Watt up the backside, saying, What kind is it? Is that important? Give me the stock before I go raving mad. As he gets kicked up the backside, Mr. Watt proclaims, What? Ho ho! He's laughing it. But two flying figures arrive. Yes. It looks like they've smashed in through the window here, actually. <laughs> I don't see much flying glass, but there's a, a jagged edge around the pane. Bullet man, bullet girl, fly into the room and Mr. Who proclaims, Now look what you've done, what? You've delayed me so long that these flying whatnots have caught up. Bullet man punches Mr. Who, sending him flying, saying, Why, who do you do? Oh, what? Says Mr. Who as he goes flying. Next panel. <laughs> Very amusingly, bullet girl has grabbed a large book from one of Mr. Watt's shelves and slams it down on Mr. Who's head, saying, Are you in Who's Who? Who? Yes, indeed, it's a copy of Who's Who. And then to this, Mr. Watt says, I'm in what's what and where? And poor Mr. Who, well, not really poor because he's a murderer, exclaims, Oof! Bulletman punches him again, sending him flying, saying, I don't know who you are, but I know where you're going. Out cold. Mr. Who falls back with an ugh. In the final panel of this page, we see him revealed. His mask is gone. He looks a little bit like Kenneth Williams, it must be said. This prompts Bullet Girl to say, Peter Wayne, one of our fellow stockholders, to Mr. Watt says. He tried to buy me stock from me first, but I refused. Bulletman, holding the mask that he's taken off Mr. Who's face, says, We all did, so we decided to grab it all without paying for it. Thanks for saving my life, Bulletman. I'm Watt. What? Bullet Girl says. Uh-oh, here we go again. Bulletman and Bullet Girl are flying happily through the air as Bulletman says, Good thing I remembered it's his name that's Watt, or I'd have been there all night. <laughs> Which Bullet Girl says, I hope Dad gets it all straight in his report. Gosh, I hope so too. A slow dissolve caption for the final panel reads, Later at headquarters. Yep, we see Jim and Susan, Lieutenant Kent's office. Jim saying, Now you see who was Wayne, but what was what? And Susan says, Now who and what and I had stock. To which Lieutenant Kent, scrumpling up the bit of paper in front of him, replies, I'll never get this report straight. Yow, who's what? What's who? What's what? Who's who? And a caption runs out the story, reading, Who knows what to do? Buy war stamps and bonds. Fantastic. Technically, that was... The, the end. end. Well, that was Fast and Furious, wasn't it? Mm. Thank you very much to our pal, Ross Aitken from Stop Let's Team Up, Gallifrey's Most Wanted, Opal City Confidential, 4 for 4, <laughs> and all of his other strands for yes. joining us there to voice Mr. Who. Fantastic. That was a lot of fun, despite all the killing. Yes, that was probably the most Abbott and Costello routine-ish of these stories, I think. Yes. <laughs> yes. Which, actually, obviously, because you know this, I don't have to tell you, Dr. Fate and Our Man kind of riff on that in an issue of All-Star Squadron, run by the time mm -hmm. Mr. Who turns up to Hassan with the rest of the Monster Society. That's true, yeah. Mm -hmm. You can wait for that, listeners. We'll get to that in a couple of years, probably. That was a lot of fun. I do enjoy the Bulletman stories because they're so violent. <laughs> yes, another very murderous uh, comedy villain. <laughs> yeah, what's going on? It's it's like, just, hello, I'm who? <laughs> bang! You're hello, dead. I'm uh, hello. I'm the colossal pain in the arse. Bang! I'm going to take your money now, and Bulletman's going to kick me off a cliff in the final page. Any particular reason he dressed up like that to go around just casually shooting people? Oh, I don't know, Mister Who. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe whoever wrote it had read the, the Doctor Fate stories and thought that's a great name for a baddie, Mister mm, Who. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously it's Peter Wayne. In disguise. Yeah. But there's nothing to tell us why he decided to. Pure greeds. Yes. Pure I greeds. loved I loved his costume though. It's, it's, we could cosplay him easily. Shall we? Let's L do it let's right do now. It. Let's do it. Okay, cool. <laughs> uh, let's go into your uh, cupboard of cloaks and we'll yes. see what we can find. 
I'm going to put together a little montage of the of the Mister Who's to to stick on the Instagram. Obviously, mm. when this episode was coming out, we're spoiled for choice. The panels of them, basically. This, I love all the ones of them losing his rag and starting to think, <laughs> of, you know, is it worth it? Maybe crime doesn't pay because Mister yeah. Watt is just like you know not fussed by it in the slightest. Quite frankly, I love it when Bullet Girl gets the giant hardback copy of Who's Who and whacks him in the head with yes. it. I'm wondering, is that one of the Who's Who omnibuses that was recently released? <laughs> well, maybe it's a sly plug for Shag's other podcast. Could be. Could Fantastic. Be. <laughs> I should be saying, I'm really frustrated at this book because we're not in it, so we should be. <laughs> Bang! There you go. Yeah. You're not in it either, Mr. Who. Gosh. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. And I feel bad for all the people who died, but, you know, I feel, of course. I feel bad for, you know, for Anthony Jones and, and Mr. Um, Mr. Brady, but you know, this does seem to the pattern in the, yeah. the Bullet Man stories is they Fine. get a lead on a murderous killer who's got a bit of a, a gimmick, and you know, they just fail to save people getting killed, yeah, really, <laughs> and they, until they actually the denouement uh-huh. at the end. They're really slow at getting to the, to the point and yeah. stuff, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Gosh, but I do love, I've always loved the, the image of Bullet Man and Bullet Girl, it's very. Casual King of the Rocket Men, you know, it's mm. it's almost Flash Gordon, eh? Buck Rogers, eh? it's quite yeah. quite a stripped down costume. But obviously, with with the bullet, the fact he's called Bullet Man maybe explains why all the stories are, are so killy. So, God, yeah. I suppose that's a thought. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, I've always loved the the outfit and the yeah. look. As we said, go back and check out our Fiddlers 3 episode if you want to hear more about Bullet Man. We discussed him a lot then, and yeah. again, another hugely entertaining story. And this is a public domain story, so we'll be able to find it for free online on Digital Comic Museum and Comic Book Plus. So free to read and download. Check it out. And obviously Bullet Man will return to the podcast in the future, uh, in future JLA, JC team-ups and some World's Finishes Am stories. And probably if we can find some more villains that you fought with the same name as villains that other guys fought, we might try and get them back again. Like Death and the Comedian. Absolutely. So um, <laughs> two down, two to go. And number three is a story from World's Finest Comics, issue 31, which was published 26th of September 1947. Have we done any stories from 1947 before? Maybe a vigilante one, I don't know. Mm. Anyway, do we want to tell everyone about the cover to issue 31 of World's Finest? Why not? It's one of these very amusing Batman, Superman, Robin covers. There is a guy who looks like a bit of a spiv, really, yes. with a pinstripe suit, and he looks like he's selling knockoff toys <laughs> of Superman, Batman and Robin. But Superman, Batman and Robin have turned up and they look rather amused at these toys. And this Spiff-like character is shocked to see the heroes. His cigarette's gone flying out of his mouth and his hat's flying off his head. My goodness. Don't smoke, kids. No. So, yes. Very amusing. World's Finest Comics, issue 31. I was astonished to find it as late as 1947. They were only at issue 31, but as Peter assures me, it wasn't a monthly or even a bi-monthly yeah, book. True. So, mm-hmm. fascinating. The story we're doing from this one features the Green Arrow and Speedy. We have a large Green Arrow logo at the top of the opening page, a splash image which shows Speedy up a tree firing an arrow at a tiger which has been let out of a cage to attack Green Arrow by a man wearing a large brown fedora and a long coat. His face is shrouded in darkness. We can't see him. We can see his features. The sign on the cage reads, Tiger, do not feed. We can see that Green Arrow is reacting to this tiger. He seems a bit scared. Now, before we get any further, listeners, this episode is possibly not suitable for children or those of you with a nervous disposition. If you're an animal lover like me and Pete, you might find elements of this one a little bit distressing. Mm. We apologise in advance. Anyway, a caption sets the scene. First it was a seal, then an ibex, then a lion, all dead by bow and arrow. But they were not hunted in the deep jungle. They were marked for death in a zoo. Why? 
Who stalked caged animals amid a city's skyscrapers? That's the enigma facing the mighty Green Arrow and Speedy as they review the why and where of Mr. Who in The Who Who Zoo Crimes. The caption, the first panel on page two, reads, Night over the city zoo. The animals pace restlessly for their uncanny instincts sense menace afoot. Yes, we can see a, a monkey cage next to a lion cage. Is that would that happen? <laughs> Terrorizing the monkeys and taunting the lions? Yes. Caption for panel two reads Nearby, a hand notches an arrow, bends a curved shaft taut. There is a deep twang like a harp string humming a chord of doom. A dozing seal quivers, then dies. And ghostly moonlight reveals a message on the deadly shaft. Montage of three panels showing the arrow being fired and killing an animal. Awful. The message tied to a tag on the the fatal arrow reads, Died by the hand of Mr. Who. It's another one. The following night, the destructive bowman Lucy's winged death once more. Let me see a copy of a newspaper called The Star. The headline reads, Wanton killings at zoo. Mr. Who kills two. Ibex is victim of Who's arrow. And there's a shot of this other poor creature with its massive antlers being struck. Um, We're not going to dwell on the dead animals, obviously. The caption for the final panel on page two. And in the home of Oliver Queen and his young ward, Roy Harper. We see Roy and Oliver getting changed into their speedy and green arrow uniforms. We see the newspaper with the headline about the Ibex being killed on the table in front of them. As he's getting changed, Roy says, Murder, especially death by arrows, is a case made to order for us. Right. It's time the Green Arrow and Speedy found out who's who. Later, shooting through the streets as swiftly as its name implies, the Arrow Car. Yes, green vehicle speeding along from inside. We hear Roy's voice as he says, What do we do first, G.A.? Check on the Park Museum. It's filled with old Indian relics. Panel 2 is great because they (laughs) they use the ejector seats to fire up over a wall into the building, into the museum. As they go flying, Green Arrow says, I have a hunch Mr. Who got his bow and arrows from there. Okay, now panel three, we're inside the museum and we can see Mr. Who as he's back to his big hat, long coat, taking an axe off a wall through the window. He spies Green Arrow and Speedy arriving with Green Arrow saying, Maybe he's run out of arrows and will come back. We could set a trap for him to walk into. And indeed in panel four, as Green Arrow and Speedy arrive, Mr. Who has taken the, the axe mounted off the wall and hurled it towards them saying, Speaking of traps, Sap, you walked into one yourself. Speedy, down! Ugh! exclaims Speedy as it seems the axe actually strikes him in the head, knocking his cap flying. Oh my goodness, in the next panel, Green Arrow says, Mr. Who, I presume. And punches Mr. Who backwards, so he goes flying through the, the window, breaking glass everywhere. No messing about? No, not at all. But agile Mr. Who is on his feet, like a cat. And releases a clawed fury to attack his pursuer. Yes, but already at the image from the splash page, Mr. Who's opened the tiger cage and the tiger is jumping towards Green Arrow. It's a massive narrative leap here because Green Arrow has left and gone outside as well after punching Mr. Who through the window, who's obviously recovered and managed to run all the way to the tiger. I'm a bit annoyed at this, listeners. (laughs) As Mr. Who opens the cage, he says, I had this door ready to open in case someone got nosy. Tiger leaps for Oliver. Abruptly, a looped arrow line yanks the charging beast from the helpless bowman. Yes, it looks as though the tiger's been collared and the arrow with a collar attached to it fires into a tree, arresting the creature's momentum. In the background, Mr. Who legs it. Green Arrow reacting. Speedy! I got to the window just in time. Hurry, GA. The tiger may get loose. How about our boomerang arrows now? 
Two bows twang and curved arrows circle round a tree, binding the tiger in a tight cocoon of silken rope. Say what you see, that's what's happening, as Green Arrow says. That'll hold them until we get to the zookeepers. Yes, I hope that tiger's going to be all right. They start running off through the grounds of the zoo. In the next panel, a full moon looms in the background as Green Arrow says, Mr. Who is probably at the zoo continuing his crimes. If only we knew which animal is his next target, says Speedy. And they, oh, sadly, the caption for the next panel. Later, at the zoo, Green Arrow says, We don't have to look far. And indeed, grimly, Speedy confirms, Golly! A lion killed by an arrow! In the next panel, in silhouette, they're suddenly both set upon by uniformed figures. The first one cries, We got him! The second one cries, Grab him! And the silhouette party continues in the first panel of page five, as one figure says, Better give up, we've got the place surrounded! At this point, Green Arrow starts fighting back, punching at one of the silhouette shapes, saying, So you brought your friends with you, eh, Mr. Who? Caption for panel two reads, Suddenly, the moon sails out from behind a dark cloud, and light dawns on the combatants. Yes, and we see that Green Arrow and Speedy have been fighting some cops. Green Arrow has one policeman in a headlock, practically, because he says, Police! But we thought... Green Arrow! But we thought! exclaims one of the police officers. In the next panel, an older-looking policeman in plain clothes with grey hair smoking a pipe arrives in the scene. Green Arrow recognises him and says, Inspector Blaine, how goes it? Terrible! I've got double trouble. First, Al Haynes breaks jail, then this Mr. Who runs wild. If I don't collar those two guys, the mayor will have my hide. Later, Green Arrow and Speedy, walking along, Green Arrow says, In murders of human beings, you can always find a motive. But why should anyone murder animals? It's crazy. Maybe the killer is crazy, says Speedy. Green Arrow looks thoughtful. Perhaps, but maybe there is a logical explanation. If we could only learn who's who. But who is Mr. Who? Suddenly, from somewhere, a gloomy voice seems to re-echo the bowman's words. Yes, giant green letters. We see the words, who, who, looking very slightly like something from the first John Pertwee title sequence, slightly. <laughs> that panel's going to be on the socials. Bet your bottom dollar. Ollie and Roy react by looking surprised with some question marks. And then in the first panel of page six, Speedy identifies where the sound was coming from, and he says, An owl! We see a little owl tooting away, and Green Arrow says, The owl was saying who, not who. And he continues in the next panel, punching his fist into his other palm as he works out what's going on. Who? Who? Owl! That's it. Owl Haynes is Mr. Who. The name Who is a tip-off to a pal outside the park that Owl is hiding here. Green Arrow and Speedy start to move in the next panel, running off as Speedy says, but what about the animal murders? I'll explain that after we trap an owl with an animal. Soon the moon looks down on a bizarre scene. Yes, very bizarre. Green Arrow and Speedy running along and they've got a cheetah on a lead, essentially. Gosh, Green Arrow is saying, The native princes of India use a cheetah for trailing game. They call it a hunting leopard. <laughs> the things you know. Presently, after following the scent, the cheetah sniffs out his quarry. Yes, Green Arrow and Speedy with a cheetah in line have come upon their enemy, who is drawing another bow and arrow towards the monkey house. As he spots him, Green Arrow cries, There's Mr. Who! The caption for the next panel reads, Too late! The deadly arrow is already released and finds a target. A koala bear! Oh no! <laughs> oh heck. Yes, we see the arrow striking the poor creature. Green Arrow jumps forward, grabbing Mr. Who by the shoulder, saying, You rotten killer! Mr. Who turns around. We can see that his face is not hidden. It just looks like a generic bad guy. Takes the bow that he just used to kill the poor little koala. 
strikes Green Arrow in the face, knocking him back into the cheetah that Roy's keeping hold of the line of. As he does this, Mr. Who cries, You're not taking me. For a moment, the bowman is dazed, and when he and Speedy resume the chase, they see... Yes, presumably Roy tied the cheetah up somewhere so that it's not going to just run about... (laughs) (laughs) Cheating all over the place. Yes, (laughs) randomly. But we see a silhouetted figure wearing the familiar hat and coat of Mr. Who, silhouetted against the moon, standing near a fence, as Green Arrow observes... There he goes, over that fence! Green Arrow and Speedy follow, jumping over the fence in the next panel, and they see what looks like Mr. Who lying on the ground in front of them. Green Arrow says... He hasn't moved. He must have banged his head when he landed. And as Speedy alights beside Green Arrow, he says, We've got him now! But upon turning the figure... Yes, it's that old trick. Mr. Who had stuck the hat and the coat he was wearing onto a sign which read, Do not feed or annoy the animals, or indeed kill them, if that can be avoided. Mm. Green Arrow holds the sign and looks very annoyed as he says, He tricked us again! He put his coat and hat on this sign and threw it over! Yep. And then Green Arrow looks to his left in the next panel and notices... Uh-oh. He's lured us into a rhino's grazing grounds. Speedy looks alarmed and cries, It's seen us! It's going to charge! And indeed in the next panel we see the rhinoceros hurtling towards them. Roy seems frozen to the spot as he says, We can't climb that fence! And we used our arrow lines roping that tiger! We're we're trapped! And over in the corner actually in the background we can see a giraffe. Is this going to be Chekhov's giraffe? Stay tuned. Green Arrow says, That branch! Blown here by the wind is going to save our lives. He reaches down towards the twig that's on the ground and the caption rounds out this page saying, If you know your zoology, you can guess the Green Arrow's plan. What is it? And the caption continues in the first panel of page 8 saying, The battling bowman attaches the branch to an arrow and... Fires the arrow into the ground in front of the giraffe saying, It's from the Alcacia tree, the giraffe's favourite food. The giraffe too timid to eat it from my hand but... Attached to an arrow. Yes, he mounted us very quickly as the rhinoceros slowly runs towards him. Planted, the branch resembles a tender young acacia tree. The giraffe bends toward this delicacy. Green Arrow shouts, Now! And Green Arrow and Speedy run towards the giraffe. In the next panel, they grab the giraffe by the neck as it lifts itself up, with Speedy crying, Elevator! Going up! And Green Arrow says, Wow! This is an escape to remember! As the rhino rushes into the fence, beneath them, damaging the fence, but not enough to break through it, and obviously not hurting the giraffe or catching Speedy and GA. Thank goodness for that. Later, the archers contact the police. And we see Green Arrow and Inspector Blaine standing in front of the cage with the dead koala. Oh, God. Green Arrow says, You think Owl Haynes is running out of arrows? Sure! Why else did he return to remove the arrow from the koala after he'd just shot it? Next panel, Green Arrow's taking out a pencil and a bit of paper doing some scribbling and he's saying I think these killings have a hidden meaning why does Owl Haynes avoid some animals and kill only certain types? Inspector Blaine looking very much like Jack Warner in the first Quatermass movie if that's a reference point for you listeners Inspector Blaine says hmm let's check on that we get an inset panel of what Green Arrow has written on the pad it reads order of animals as killed seal ibex lion koala and a little caption underneath this little insert drawing reads, Can you decipher the clues in the above words? And in the first panel of page nine, Green Arrow says to Inspector Blaine, Don't you see it? Take the first letter of each name and read down. They spell a word. Silk. Inspector Blaine says, The old silk warehouse where Haynes' mob used to meet. Haynes knows you're watching his mob in case he tries to contact them, so he's signalling them to leave getaway money there for him to retrieve later, alone. That's a bit of a jump, isn't it? 
<laughs> Every deduction GE made in this story is a bit of a jump. Anyway. A slow dissolve. A caption reads, Soon after, at the Silk Warehouse. See a couple of policemen, Green Arrow and Speedy, Inspector Blaine going through a crate. Inspector Blaine looks like he's only got one arm. The way he's been drawn here. Inspector Blaine, still with his pipe in his mouth, is saying, No money here. Nothing. To which Green Arrow says, I wonder if... Let's check back at the zoo. A slow dissolve. We're back at the zoo. We see a delighted monkey or chimpanzee watching on as Green Arrow and Speedy and a couple of police officers and Inspector Blaine look at a mark on a tree. This little line on the tree trunk that Green Arrow was pointing at and saying, Haynes must have been aiming at the orangutan. My hand deflected the arrow's flight, glanced off the tree and killed the koala by mistake. Oh my goodness. It's Green Arrow's fault the koala died. But he <sighs> saved an orangutan. Well, koalas are cuter. In the next panel, Green Arrow continues saying, Orangutan, and O would spell silo. Inspector Blaine, looking very much like William Hartnell, replies, The farm silo, where Haynes' mob once stored black market beef. I'll release a false story saying he shot the orang. His mob will walk into our trap. Slow dissolve. Caption for the final panel of page nine. Later. The silhouetted forms of Green Arrow and Speedy, running along Green Arrow saying, Al won't return to kill the orangutan with the police around. An otter or a possum are too nimble to kill, so he'll pick on a big target like an ox. Oh no, I do not want to see another dead animal. First panel of page 10, the caption reads, Soon after, a deadly shaft is clipped aside in mid-flight. Thank goodness for that. Full moon looms in the background as we see Owl Haynes, now obviously without his Mr. Who hat and coat, firing at a large ox. Do they have oxes in zoos? They must do. The yeah. green arrow has very quickly fired another arrow, which has shattered the arrow that Owl Haynes had fired. As he does all this, green arrow says, Put down your bow. The shooting tournament is over. The caption for panel two reads, Then speedy pads forward. Swift and lithe as a panther. Yes, and very amusingly, Roy leaps over a camel, which happens <laughs> to be sitting nearby. And as he does this, he says, I guess a pilot would call this flying over the hump. Guess he would, Roy. We get a better look at Owl Haynes in the next panel. We see that he has a pointy nose and little Professor Yaffle-style glasses and little tufts of hair inside of his head. He doesn't look anywhere as dynamic as the other Mr. Who's. But Speedy, flying through the air, grabs him round the throat, takes him to the ground, and Roy says, Now an owl will get his wings clipped. Green Arrow says, You were flying pretty high once, but now you're grounded. As he punches Owl Haynes backwards, sending him falling towards a kangaroo, which is helpfully standing behind a nearby bush. Not yet, Green Arrow. Owl Haynes flies again. Yes, and we see the kangaroo taking revenge for his animal pals as he kicks Owl Haynes up the backside, sending him flying into the air over a fence. The silhouette of the kangaroo looks on in the final panel as Green Arrow and Speedy look at Owl Haynes stretched out on the ground as Green Arrow says, There's justice for you. An animal finally got Mr. Who. To which Speedy says, Uh Uh-huh. Now he goes from the bars of a zoo to the bars of a prison. And the caption reads... The, the end. end. <sighs> well, that was horribly unnecessary, wasn't it? <laughs> I'm going to need a minute. Wow. Yeah, wow. That was horrible, quite yeah. frankly. It's <laughs> a, a, very, a very bizarre story. <laughs> yes. What's with the Mr. Who? Was that yeah, a code was, name for his well, yeah, because, um, henchman? It, no, it was the, the onomatopoeic sound effect from, from the owl and just using that as you know yeah. as his name and all that, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. I think that's maybe he's used that as then a code name so that his henchman knows when, when they're reading the paper to watch out for what he's killing. Yeah. Aye. So yeah, so that's yes. without giving away his ID. Yeah. Every conclusion Gennaro leapt to was totally at a left field Yes, in that story. Yeah. There was no proper deduction in that at all. It was all like, aha, it was very Adam West, 60s Batman. Yes, 
there was some good action, though, some good leaping and jumping moments. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm just traumatised by the dead animals. It's completely unnecessary. It's horrible. Yeah. I mean, it's not because that's that's obviously whoever wrote it has worked it out and the body's going to kill animals and that's how he's going to spell out the names of yeah. uh-huh. where he's hiding and all that. And mm-hmm. I like you know, I liked the, the dead end where they went to the silk warehouse. That was quite funny. Mm-hmm. It was very well drawn. The animals were all yes. immaculate, uh-huh. but frankly, it was horrendous. I don't really have anything much more to say. <laughs> so our thanks to Brandon for joining us to help us out with Inspector Blaine and Mr. Who. Indeed, thank you. And our thanks to Logan for joining us to help us by giving voice once again to Speedy. Should we bury this one quickly and go on to the next story? I think so, yes. <laughs> we'll draw a bow over this. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. So, come to our final story today. The fourth face of Mr. Who, <laughs> if you will. And this one's from issue 22 of the Marvel Family, published on the 20th of February, 1948. Welcome return to the Shazam fam. Pete's going to tell you about the cover. There's not much to say about this cover, to be honest. We have the Marvel Family logo at the top. We have Captain Marvel, Mary Marvel and Captain Marvel Jr. all running across kind of a desert plain and there's a cloud of smoke really behind them in the background and that's it. Wow. There's also a caption box that says... In this issue, the Marvel family and the triple threats. Also, the world's mightiest mortals, Captain Marvel, Captain Marvel Jr., Mary Marvel, each in his own exciting action-packed story. Although Mary Marvel shouldn't be in his own. Yeah, I should just say their own. Yeah. Bad grammar. So, yes, the Marvel family and the triple threat. There's an establishing large panel, which appears to show the cover of a magazine called The Family. Caption on this magazine reads... Picture stories of famous families. Along the top, we have the Marvel Family logo. A caption at the top reads, The Marvel Family and, and the, the Triple Threats. And there's a little caption sort of on the side of this facsimile magazine cover and it reads, Who is Mr. Who? Read the exciting story of how the mighty Marvel family unmasks this cunning criminal. And the image in the front of this facsimile magazine shows the Marvel Family flying down. Well, it looks like the Golden Gate Bridge behind them, but just a big bridge flying down towards a figure pointing a fancy-looking gun at them, who's wearing a brown fedora, a dark black suit, and he's a mask over his face with a question mark on it. His face is obscured, but the question mark is clear. Gosh. The caption for the first panel of the story reads, In the editorial offices of the famous magazine, The Family. Yes, we see a large, heavy-set fellow, looking a bit like Stripesy to my eyes. Kind of sweat back brown hair, very strong buff chap, has a green hat, holding it in his hand, and he's talking to a little man, with glasses and white hair, who sat behind the desk, and this big chap is saying, I'm Buck Dugan. Look, I'll be honest with ya. I'm an ex-convict, but I want to go straight. How about a job? You're my last hope. I've been turned down everywhere else. And the little man with white hair looks almost apologetic as he says, Your past record doesn't matter to me, my boy. I'm willing to give you a job. But first, you have to prove you can do the work. In what way? Bring in a sample feature with pictures of some famous family. If it looks good, I'll hire you. Fair enough? Aye, I guess so. Goodbye. And Buck Dugan takes his leave. I like the little detail of managing editor on the glass on the Mm. door there. Caption for panel two of page two reads, But the young ex-convict is discouraged as he returns to his shabby room. Yes, shabby room, and we can see the cracked plaster on the, the wall around the door. And as he approaches the door, Buck, wearing his green hat, says, Gosh! It's hard to go straight and get a job. Where can I find a famous family? It's a tough assignment. I'm almost ready to give up and, and take up crime again. As he opens his door into his apartment, 
there's another man, another big, heavy, set-looking fellow in a black suit, smoking a cigar, sat waiting for him. Tsar Gargan, my old crime boss. And Tsar Gargan says, Turf work looking for a job, eh, Buck? Why don't you join my gang again? What do you say? Later, as Gargan leaves... As Gargan has put his hat on, he's got a sort of pale brown fedora, still smoking his cigar. He takes his exit, saying, Think over those crime jobs, Buck, and let me know if you want to be included in. Buck, looking very pained and thoughtful, replies, Yes, Tsar, I'll get in touch with you. Buck crosses to switch on his radio set. As he does this, he's saying, What'll I do? Should I go back to crime or not? Hey, wait. There's the most famous family of all. The Marvel family. And over the radio, a voice can be heard saying, This is Station Wiz bringing you the Marvel family round table. And Buck looks as if he's been struck by inspiration. In the next panel, as he says, What would make a better feature than the Marvel family in action against crime? Now I know exactly what to do. Later, the Marvel family receives a note. Yes, we hear Captain Marvel's voice saying, Holy moly, a tip-off on crime. The note reads, Dear Marvel family, a notorious crook, Mr. Who, is going to pull three crimes, robbing the Aqua Jewel Company, the Bolton Bridge, and the Riverside Warehouse. Can you stop them? Signed, a friend. Interesting. First panel of page three, we see Captain Marvel and Mary Marvel, and I fight the urge to call them Freddy Shazam these days, but Captain Marvel Jr. Cap is saying, But no time was specified for the jobs to be pulled. We'll have to split and guard all three places. Captain Marvel Jr., you stand watch at the Aqua Jewel Company. Right, says Freddy, and as they all take the leave from the Whiz radio building, flying off in different directions in the next panel, Cap can be heard saying, Mary Marvel, you guard the Riverside Warehouse. I'll take the Bolton Bridge. Okay, says Mary as she flies off. And in panel three, we see Freddy, a.k.a. Captain Marvel Jr., flying down towards the Aqua Jewel Company. He says in his dialogue, helpfully, There's the Aqua Jewel Company. It's on the river. Below, the mysterious Mr. Who is striking. Now we see Mr. Who. He's a very thick-set, buff-looking man with a weird pistol in his hand. He's a brown fedora and a little, almost like a handkerchief, sort of tied and secured in front of his face with mm. a question mark mm-hmm. emblazoned upon it. A couple of goons in front of him, one wearing a green suit and a black and white striped shady looking t-shirt. There's another guy with a black hat and a brown suit. Mr. Who is saying, They just received a shipment of diamonds. Nab men. I'll be on guard. And the guy in the green suit replies, Right. The next panel, we see Captain Marvel Jr. flying into the building via an open skylight. As he does this, he says, The crooks are at work already. The next panel, Junior has flown down further into the building, enters into a room, you can see the two goons. There's already a man unconscious on the ground, one of the goons grabbing a bag of swag, and the guy in the black hat and the brown suit cries, Captain Marvel Jr., shoot him! So their guy starts firing. Bang, bang. Junior flies over with a couple of punches, knocks out both bad guys, saying, Tut, tut, a waste of lead, my good fellows. First bad guy exclaims, and the second one goes, and a caption reads, All of the members of the Marvel family are impervious to harm of any kind. Thank goodness for that. The robbers flee from the blue boy's power. Yep, two bad guys are running from the building, being chased by Junior. Mr. Who is standing outside, still wearing his mask and still pointing his fancy pistol. The first bad guy cries, Mr. Who, look who's after us! And Junior, pausing in the doorway, says, So you're the mysterious Mr. Who, eh? Good, I'll nab all of you. Then Mr. Who says, That's so. Wait till you see what my special gun shoots out. 
and he fires his special gun, and a cloud of dark black red smoke, no other word for it, just spouts out the end. We see the question marks as Junior reacts, and then in panel three, he's completely surrounded, enveloped in this cloud, as he cries, Holy moly, I can't see! In the next panel, we see him in silhouette, reaching towards what appears to be Mr. Who, but it's a buff, big, tall figure wearing a hat. Junior takes him by the arm, saying, But I've got hold of somebody. It must be Mr. Who. And the smoke starts to clear. In the panel five, we see that it wasn't Mr. Who, well, apparently not Mr. Who. Standing revealed, he says, No, no, it's me, Buck Dugan. The crooks got away. Which Junior says, Huh? What are you doing around here? I'm getting pictures of the Marvel family in action against crime. Oh, boy, I got some good shots of you. But I need some of Captain Marvel and Mary Marvel, too. And he walks off, leaving a very puzzled Junior to think, Mr. Who disappears, and that guy shows up. Hmm, how did he know I was going to be here? Meanwhile, Captain Marvel stands guard at the Bolton Bridge. This is a great panel. The bridge detailing artwork is gorgeous, and we can see Cap standing on top of it. Interesting, given the bridge sequence at the start of Shazam, Fury of the Gods. Have you seen that yet? Not yet, no. disgrace. (laughs) As he stands astride the bridge, Cap is saying out loud, What kind of job is this Mr. Who going to pull here? The caption then for panel two reads, At the toll booth where thousands of dollars are taken in daily from auto traffic. Yes, we see a car making its way through past one toll booth. A couple of guys in the front, one guy wearing a black hat, one guy wearing an orange hat, but there appears to be someone sat in the back seat with a mask covering his face. The chap in the toll booth says, 50 cents, please. And in the next panel, the guy in the front of the car, wearing the black hat and the brown suit, suddenly pulls a gun. He leans forward and says, We're collecting the toll now, pal. Reach. And we see that the shrouded figure in the back seat was none other than Mr. Who. Yes. You see his question mark, we see his green hat, we see his fancy gun. The toll booth employee cries, Robbers! But the world's mightiest mortal sees all, and... He starts flying down towards. One of Mr. Who's goons cries, Yipe! Captain Marvel! From inside the car, Mr. Who says, Quick men, into the car. I'll give him a blast from my special gun. Mr. Who's car starts to pull off. The caption reads, Mr. Who's strange gun now throws out scorching flame. Yes, the flame's flying back towards Cap, who's flying overhead. And Cap says, No good, pal. That doesn't stop me. But then in the next panel, Mr. Who says, No? Suppose I set that car on fire then. And he fires his flame gun, at another car, which catches fire. The person inside the car cries, Help! We see Cap reacting in surprise. Out of control, the innocent victim's car plunges toward the river below. Yeah, this is amazing. There's a massive crash as it actually goes through the side of the bridge, off down towards the river. We hear Cap's voice crying, Holy moly! And inside the car, a voice says, Help! Save me! Ah! The mighty Captain Marvel acts in time. Yes, we see the flames from the car burning in the surface of the water, but Cap has flown down and rescued the man who was driving the car, saying, You're safe now, mister, but the crooks got away. He flies the man back up towards the bridge, and who do we see standing taking photographs of all this but Buck Dugan, who says, Wow, what action shots. Cap alights, sets the man on his feet, and watches Dugan make his way off. Cap says, Who's he? Dugan is saying to himself, I got my shots of Captain Marvel Jr. and Captain Marvel. Now, for Mary Marvel. And he gets a nice cheery close-up in the next panel. Very cloudy day in Fawcett City, evidently, at this point, as he's saying, This is working perfectly. I'm killing two birds with one stone. Wait till the editor of The Family sees this feature of the Marvel family matching wits with the unknown Mr. Who. 
Meanwhile, the third and last member of the Marvel family waits patiently at the Riverside Warehouse. See Mary standing. There's a lot of fur pelts on the, the counter in front of her. We don't approve. Mary's looking very thoughtful when she's saying, No sign of the crooks yet. Wait, what's that? And off camera, we hear a sock and some punching. In the final panel of this page, we see, further into the warehouse, one guard unconscious on the ground, and our familiar friends, the goons in the green suit and the brown suit, and Mr. Who, with his fedora and the question mark covering his face and his weird pistol. And Mr. Who saying, The watchman's out cold. Now we'll grab the loot. They move into another room, which is obviously piled high with furs, and Mr. Who takes this all in, saying, These furs are worth a fortune. Then, in the next panel, what, oh my goodness, have they got the furs of dead bears? Looks like it. Oh, this is hideous. Mm. Oh, no animals were harmed in the, fu- <laughs> in the making of this podcast, I assure you. Mm. One of the bearskin rugs seems to rear up, going, Boo! And one of the goons cries, Yeah! One of the furs is alive! But then, thankfully, in panel three, Revealed, a familiar figure in red says, No, it's only me. And Mary punches one of the goons. The guy in the green suit runs away saying, Mary Marvel, that's worse. And then the next panel, Mary says, And here's the boss, Mr. Who. And Mr. Who points his fancy gun at her saying, Think you got me? My special gun can shoot out a blast of air too. We see a fancy wave flying towards Mary. And in the next panel, Mr. Who continues, Making these furs fly all over you. Mary's question mark reaction is clear as a swoosh as all the furs start flying around. Mary throws them off in the next panel saying, There, I cast all the furs aside and I've got the arm of Mr. Who. And she says, We can see indeed that she has managed to grasp hold of one hand poking out of the sleeve of a black suit. In the final panel, it's revealed that she is not holding, or maybe she is, holding the arm of Mr. Who. She's holding the arm of Buck Dugan, who says, Let me go. I'm just Buck Dugan. I was taking pictures of it all. Mr. Who got away. To which Mary says, Uh, sorry. Duggan continues, holding up his camera to Mary, he says, You see, I'm an ex-convict, and I'm trying to land a job with the family. So I took pictures of the famous Marvel family in action against criminals. Just what I need. I'm through now. He starts walking off in the next panel, but Captain Marvel Jr. arrives on the scene, flying in, saying, I'll say you're through, pal. To which Mary says, Captain Marvel Jr., what do you mean? Junior steps forward, putting his hand on Duggan's arm in the next panel, saying, It's all clear to me now. At each job, Mr. Who vanished, and this young ex-thug showed up. In plain words, he's Mr. Who, without the mask on. No, I, uh... exclaims Duggan. It all ties in. He wanted the Marvel family in action against crime. So he cooked up the crimes himself, and sent us the tip. Which Mary says, Sure, he couldn't lose either way. If these crimes were successful, he didn't need the job. And if the crimes were stopped, he had his feature. And it must be said, there is a similarity between Duggan and Mr. Who. Both mm-hmm. very buff, very strong looking. Mm-hmm. But of course, the difference is the colour of their hats. It's a frame-up. I'm innocent, I tell you. I'm innocent. To which Junior says, That's what they all say. But wait, what of the third member of the Marvel family? Captain Marvel. Yes, we switch to Cap, flying along above the river, saying... How did Mr. Who strike at three places so quickly and get away each time? Hmm. All three places he robbed were along the river. And there's a gorgeous shot of him flying through a red sky to round out this page. This is obviously Mm. taking place during the crisis in Infinite Earths. Or as the crisis reaches 1948. And as Cap continues, There's only one answer. A boat. There's a launch speeding away from the Riverside Warehouse. The last place on the list. Yes, it's not very clear in this panel. We can see a boat scurrying along the 
the water. Cap flies down towards the vessel, saying, Sure enough, Mr. Who and his two flunkies. We have to take his word on that because it's not very clear because they're very, very, very far away in silhouette. But in panel two, we see Cap standing on the deck of the boat, confronting Mr. Who, who we can see has his brown fedora and his fancy pistol. And he's standing there looking all big and strong. And he says, Captain Marvel, I'll use my special gun and guess again, says Cap as he punches him out with a sock. That's a sock sound effect. No, he doesn't, <laughs> doesn't take it off his foot. Wow, can you imagine? Listeners can imagine him imagining mm. it right now. Soon at shore. Captain Marvel has steered the boat in to the docks. We see Freddie and Mary standing with Buck. Cap says, Hi kids, here's Mr. Who and all his loot. To which Mary says, What? But, but how can there be two of them? In the next panel, we see Cap walking forward, bearing the unmasked Mr. Who, and he says, There's only one Mr. Who, and it's Sar Gargan, the underworld gang leader. To which Junior says, Then Buck Dugan is innocent after all. In the next panel, a smiling Dugan extends a hand to the Marvel, saying, That's what I was trying to tell you. I tipped you off about Gargan because I'm through with crime. It was the perfect way not only to aid the law, but also to get my feature for the family. Captain Marvel shakes him warmly by the hand, saying, Good work, Dugan. We're always happy to see an ex-crook go straight. Mr. Who, or Tsar Gargan, was pretty clever, but I knew the Marvel family would get him in the end. And later... We see Freddy and Mary standing as Cap holds up the copy of the family with the Marvel family photo feature, giving pride a place, and Cap smiles and says, Buck Dugan got his job all right. See? And that has brought us to... The The end. end. Our thanks to our pal Kenny Smith from the Doctor Who podcasts Pieces of Eight and Power of Three for joining us there. And thanks again to our very own Logan McFarlane for joining us as Captain Marvel Jr. What did you think of that one then, Pizzi? A good fun runaround, good mistaken identity uh, situation, you know, kind of frame up. I don't know why Zar Gargan has got a costume identity when he's got the same goons, really. But that's fine. I want to know where his gun came from. Yes, that magic gun. Did mm. it fall through a dimensional portal after the Sandman was working on it and trying to perfect it? May have done. Could he, could he create a dimensional portal with it? I mean, he can do oh, quite a lot of things with it. Can so, you imagine? Yeah, yes, well, I can. I'm imagining you, it right now. Me too, when we write our DC comic. Mm-hmm. Well, that was fun. I liked, you know, it's obviously it's a Marvel family story, so they're all going to get a turn at some of the action. Mm-hmm. Artwork was lovely, very crisp, as you'd come to expect. I liked the detailing of the bridges and the various cars and stuff. Yeah. Thankfully, there didn't really seem to be any deaths. Hopefully all these guards were just knocked unconscious. <laughs> Although we did have the, the dead animal skins. Yes, oh, let's, I'd forgotten, see, I'd forgotten yeah. about that. See, this is the thing about doing Golden Age stories occasionally, yeah. it's just that they really show you how things have changed. Mm-hmm. People probably didn't think twice looking at that yeah. in 48 or whenever it was. I really liked the colouring of this as well. There was yes. there was quite a few panels where the backgrounds were almost empty and it was just, uh-huh. I'm not a fan of that laziness, but the red skies and stuff and all the clouds in the sky were very effective. It just sort of making yeah. it seem a little bit more textured. True. There are a lot of absolutely plain backgrounds as well, which is obviously just easier for storytelling, as you say, yeah. you know. So. Yeah. I'm always reminded of that issue of Wildcats that I got for for our pal Chris O'Brien from Stateside one day because Ark had sold out and I took it along from him and I was like, I think they're in a castle at one point because you can see what looks like some bricks behind someone. <laughs> I think it was Wildcats. Anyway, there was enough other scene setting material to go on yes. so that you didn't, you didn't really have to worry about the occasional empty background. But no, that was a lot of fun. I think a little bit more twisty-turny than the last one. True, The yes. only one. You're sort of wondering, has Buck gone bad again? But I mean, obviously yeah. the difference in the colour of hats obviously really yeah. kind of shows that off. His is green and you see are with his brown hat and then you see Mr. Who wearing his brown hat. So 
we didn't see too much about Buck's criminal activities, so we don't know no. how, if he was clever enough to to come up with all this. So, um, but I like the fact that they kept finding Buck on the scene. Yes, and mm-hmm. obviously they're going to be suspicious, mm-hmm. but we know he's doing that because he's trying to take photos. So I don't, I don't know if I ever felt whilst reading it that Buck would be the bad guy. Did you? No, not at all. It was obviously set up that way. It's, it's not Buck, so it has to be the other bad guy yeah. that is portrayed in the story. Yeah, it wasn't the the, yeah. the deepest or darkest of mysteries. No, and Mister Who's costume this time is, as you said, was just like a, a white handkerchief over his face. Yes, with a question mark on yeah. it. Probably just drawn on with a sharpie. Yeah, a couple of elastic bands tied at the corner. Very easy to cosplay, but also it reminded <laughs> me very much of the the clock. One of the very first action heroes, superheroes. Right. I think he was the original man in business suits with something over his face. Right. Much in the vein of, as we've said before, Spirit, Midnight, yeah. Mouthpiece, 7-Eleven, yeah. all those guys. Yeah. Yeah. When we write our DC comic. Mm-hmm. They'll all go to the same tailors and it'll be hilarious. <laughs> they'll all team up and they'll all wear each other's suits and no one will recognise each other. <laughs> and it'll be really confusing. Fantastic. But anyway, so out of the, the four stories we've done today mm. then, which is which was your favourite? That's a tough one. I liked, I did like the Bullet Man one. Because we don't get to talk about Bill Man often enough, and they're just great action adventure stories. Obviously, the Doctor Fate one's outstanding because that is what comic fans think of as Mister Who. Yes, and you know, uncovering these other three is a nice treat. Yes, but he is the OG Mister Who. Yeah, who with all his science knowledge, surely he must be a doctor. <laughs> yeah, you'd think, mm. or a professor. <laughs> I would say that probably. You know, I, I was aware of the the Doctor Fate guy beforehand. Obviously, mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. So the three, I think. I think the Bullet Man one was probably my favourite because yeah. I enjoyed his sort of deterioration of his mental state and his frustration at it all. Yeah. And mm-hmm. his meeting his 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 equal and Mr. Watt. <laughs> and the Green Arrow story was horrible, obviously. Yes. But you know, and the Marvel family one was fun. But the, the Doctor Fate one was a lot of fun too. You know, I'm sure in the future, as I've hinted at, we might come back and do the, the yeah. other Mr. Who stories. I mean, he rocks up during the crisis, so things are going to be absolutely log jammed with stuff to talk about at that point. So maybe maybe we'll get back to Mr. Who. But yes, if you've got a copy of the Golden Age Doctor Fate archives, you'll be able to read those adventures for you. For you yourself but yes he does come back and hassle Dr. Fate I think by the time we reach that stage in All-Star Squadron and the Crisis we'll probably want a break yeah and it'd, that's be, true. it'd be fun to jump back to yeah, these stories that's a thought I'm, I'm just sort of impressed by the fact that he came back in the next issue looking <laughs> completely looking immediately completely different different, completely different clothes so um, mm-hmm. maybe they regenerated with him or maybe there's a continuity patch from Big Finish coming soon to explain the discrepancies <laughs> And as we've said in the past, you know, there weren't that many recurring villains back in the day. No, true. So it's, it's pretty yeah, cool true. that he came back. Mm-hmm. So anyway, right, listeners, happy Doctor Who 60th anniversary. Indeed. The Freedom Fighters will be along next week, as you probably expected. Yes, normal service will resume. There we are. Yes. With a few additional voices yes. again. Yes, and again, thanks to, to everyone who joined us today. Thanks to Shag, thanks to Ross, thanks to Kenny, thanks to Brandon, thanks to Logan. We really appreciate you taking time to do it because you know, everyone's very busy right now. Absolutely. Because it's that time of year. But yeah, thanks everyone. So, as we say, some of these folks will be back next week and along with a few other returning voices. Mm-hmm. So mm, are you enticed? Are you intrigued? David, are you excited for the Doctor Who anniversary today? Yeah, well, obviously I'm, I'm really pleased that David Tennant's come back. Mm-hmm. I'll point everyone in the direction of Kenny's Power of Three Doctor Who podcast, which I've been contributing to a lot this month. Kenny's been trying to do daily episodes. Mm-hmm. I'm going to build up to anniversary. So if you haven't heard enough of me and Kenny after this episode, you can go and binge yourself silly over on, on Power of Three. Yeah, it's a bit of a low-key one. It's obviously nowhere near the same level of celebration as the 50th. Yes. But we're getting these David Tennant episodes, which... At the time of recording, we don't even know when they're going out. It's true. I did get a text from someone this morning that told me what they'd heard. I'm not mm-hmm. going to say what they said and mm-hmm. who they were because that might get someone in trouble. It was David Tennant. It wasn't. It wasn't. It was someone other than David Tennant. So yeah, are you excited about the Doctor Who 60th anniversary? I'm very excited, yes. What are you most excited about? 
I'm most excited to hear what our listeners think of the <laughs> Doctor Who 60th anniversary. Why don't you drop us a line at the Podcast at gmail.com and let us know. Make sure you follow us on social media because we're posting lots of lovely bonus material for this and indeed every episode on Facebook and Instagram. We're at the Earth 2 Podcast and on Twitter because that's what we're calling it because we've time travelled back. We're at podcast underscore Earth 2 and it's the number two for all our social media. It certainly is. If you're feeling inclined, you can go and wherever it is you receive your podcast leave us a positive review. That would be lovely. So yeah, the Freedom Fighters arrive next week, issue 107 of Just League of America, part one of the 1973 Justice League Justice Society crossover. The first JLAJC crossover that your two hosts were both alive for. Very true. Which is exciting. And as we've said, we have some returning voices. We have some people who helped us out during the Seven Soldier story during summer, returning to play the same characters. And we have a couple of folk who are returning to lend us their voices playing some different characters. And who's doing what and who's not doing what, you'll just have to wait and see. Yes, who's who? Who's who indeed, right on that bombshell. I've been Peter. I've been David. Take care. We'll see you next week on The The Earth Earth 2 Podcast. The Earth Who Podcast? If you like. Transmatter Cube activated. Return coordinate set for Earth Prime. Planted that Blanche resembles a tender... <laughs> I think you said Blanche. I know. That's Sorry. Just, yeah. Planted... <laughs> I'm saying planted. Planted the Blanche. Supported menswear. <laughs> <laughs> FS. And suddenly, William Hartnell, as the first doctor, is there with a pipe in his mouth, and he says, The farm silo where Haynes mob once stored black market beef. I'll release a false story saying he shot the orang. His mob will walk into our trap. Hmm, quite so. Gosh, <laughs> quite a turnaround there from Inspector Blaine. A slow dissolve, the caption for the final panel reads. You better do it again. Oh, no. I'll put that as the outtake. <laughs>